welcome to the Marketing Meetup Podcast. My name's Joe Glover. Thank you so much for listening today. Today I am recording this introduction on my Mac uh, because I'm out and about, so sorry if the audio quality isn't great, but let's get into introducing today's session, which is with Fergus O'Carroll, who is the host of On Strategy Showcase. On Strategy Showcase is one of my favourite podcasts. I don't listen to an awful lot of marketing podcasts. That's my dirty little secret right there. I actually spend most of my time listening to podcasts about other things, such as history, seems to be my my big thing at the moment. But On Strategy Showcase is something I make the time for. And the reason I make time for it is for a couple of reasons. The first is that uh, it's all about the the questioning. As someone who spends a lot of time interviewing other people, then I really, really admire how Fergus goes about asking his questions. But the reason I admire it is because he's quite clearly internalised and understood marketing strategy to such a high level that when he asks his questions, it's laced with years of knowledge that just come through in every question that he asks and really brings out the best in 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 his guests. So uh, that's the first thing that I admire. The second thing is that Fergus's guests are also first-rate marketers who are practicing in the field today, which means to say that Fergus fills his brain with knowledge and experience from people who are doing sensational work, and he gets the privilege of sitting down with them and, and hearing them, much in the same way as I do, each week, and, and digesting what they know about strategy. The result is that here is an individual who spends his time listening to uh, great people and improving his marketing strategy skills. And for me, that was great because I knew that I wanted someone to speak about marketing strategy this season. And so Fergus was our man. Now, Fergus actually doesn't start this presentation with this, um, but this was a conversation that he and I had uh, before this podcast episode went live which is there is no one way to uh, build a marketing strategy. And so what Fergus chooses to do in this podcast is actually spend his time speaking about the mindsets, the things that separate uh, an average marketing strategist from anyone else, uh, from a very good marketing strategist. He spends the time to uh, speak about their mindsets, the things that go through uh, their processes uh, that make their marketing strategy stand out. As we head into 2023 and we start to think about our own strategies, this is a great time to be able to start to listen and digest from someone such as Fergus. Before we get going, I want to say a big thank you to our sponsor. And so for this week, our featured sponsor is Hrefs. Now, a lot of you will know Hrefs for their SEO tool, Uh, but maybe you won't know them for their webmaster tool, which enables you to audit your website straight away, all for free. They also have some fantastic marketing courses available right now with from blogging uh, to SEO to a range of other topics that are freely accessible on their site. Uh, They're really, really great resources and Hrefs have just become this phenomenal marketing resource as well as a, a really, really brilliant tool. So do take the time to check out Hrefs too. With all that said, as my introduction is over, it's now time to hand over to Fergus, who is speaking about how to create a marketing strategy. Thank you so much for listening. All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. It's it's terrific to be here. I'm kind of nervous to be here too. As I said to Joe earlier, it's different when you're interviewing somebody because you can sort of, you know, diffuse 
the responsibility for performing to somebody else. But uh, when it's just me but here by myself, I'm a little nervous, so bear with me. It is uh, Greetings from Chicago, which is where the show is based and where and where I live. Uh, for those of you not familiar with On Strategy Showcase, it's really where marketers tell the stories behind the strategies that led uh, to amazing work. And it's work from uh, all around the world. And um, uh, for listeners, they'll be f- sort of familiar with the format. But in essence, we, we uh, invite uh, those sort of brands that have done phenomenal work that has either been recognized through awards or work that I've grown to enjoy, regardless of whether or not they actually won awards, because great work doesn't require, isn't just classified that because it wins an award. But it's brands that are doing really interesting things that I find um, others, I think others might find also interesting. And we burrow deep down by sort of interrogating the client and the strategist on the business and sort of trying to unearth the story behind the strategy. And and this show is really uh, about strategy, about sort of the strategy and not about the strategist. Uh, I never ask people for their resume. It's not of interest to me. Uh, we talk simply about the work that comes out of it all, because I've always firmly believed that um, you can be massively articulate and you can be uh, uh, wonderfully well-versed in all things strategy, but if the work that you're generating isn't good, then it's worthless. So we love to focus on the show on the outcomes that come out of this. It's not a show about effectiveness, by the way. It's really just about interesting stories. And I think hopefully they become stories that inspire people and um, create uh, a sense of excitement and, and ambition around the uh, around the industry. We talk about it as being for those who love to continuously learn and those generous enough to share. So as Joe mentioned in the outset, um, we, we talked about the, the title of this, that maybe this is going to seem like you're going to come to a an academic uh, sort of presentation about the structure of developing a great marketing strategy. It's really not that. I, I think um, uh, what I want this to be is really sort of um, a conversation and about what great strategists and clients um, do, how they behave, what they believe, and uh, what their sort of common threads are. I've done this in different formats for strategists about, you know, the sort of the best attitudes of strategists. I'm, I'm trying to turn it here more towards marketers because uh, I know that you guys are primarily a marketing group. And you're probably with smaller companies maybe that are struggling with budgets and struggling with challenges and struggling with being taken seriously many times uh, by your senior C-suite people. And uh, that's a common thread across uh, all uh, marketers, but it might be particularly acute when you're looking at small to mid-sized organizations. So let's, uh, let's talk about a few things that I've learned along the way. And these are some of the things that I think are sort of most important. And um, um, this is, of course, is my opinion of this, so forgive me. So I think um, the first one is be ambitious. And what do I mean by that? I think be ambitious for your brand and for yourself. Um, I think that there's not enough people who realize that great work isn't just for others. And you need to believe that. I think you actually have to expect it. Uh, from your agency partners and from yourself and from your brand. 
it's uh it's and this is no matter uh the size of your organization you have to insist upon great work and never forget that big ideas will always uh, beat big budgets and i think we see that time and time again where uh, it's really about the thinking connecting with the right people connecting with the right uh, agency partners and creative talent and that doesn't have to necessarily come in the form of an organized agency uh, or an organized service provider there is tons of wonderful independent freelance talent out there and there's no reason why you can't cobble together a great team of very smart people to work on your brand but again being ambitious means being excited it's about setting expectations so that the entire team knows that you are actually setting the bar of where things are not waiting for them to do it and it works magically for uh, most uh, uh, organizations another one is that don't make your beliefs your identity uh, this is important for strong-willed clients and it's a danger for both strategists and for clients but it's don't assume you know the answers um and a, a lot of people do and the unfortunate thing is if you get stuck defending your beliefs you can very quickly lose cred credibility and you can very sort of quickly feel that you get stuck in time so you know don't make your beliefs your entire identity you know good marketers they're and good strategists uh, are open to disproving their own beliefs they know that what we know tomorrow will most likely be more accurate than what we know today and they're willing to go along on that journey it's really critical that we don't uh, stand for the same things and see sort of be inflexible in what we do another one is uh, one of my favorites here by the way is don't get distracted by the latest shiny object uh, we're notorious in this industry for creating new practice areas it feels like it happens every month and uh, semiotics is my latest favorite um, because we we tend to sort of take um, and repackage old things in new ways and we have to be careful in doing that because uh, although there's always sort of useful aspects to all of these we don't want to sort of um, yeah, we don't want to let new make us feel obsolete or make us feel sort of uh, insecure about what we're doing um, you know, it, it's so much the fact that, and it's a saying that I can't remember who said this, but it's, I love it. It was that your job isn't to be on top of everything. It's to get to the bottom of it. And to be that, you need to be more generalist oriented than specialist oriented. So don't let yourself get distracted when somebody comes in and, and talking about things in new and new and unique ways that you feel, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm now threatened. No, stick to your first principles they generally work 99% of the time. Another one which I love is cultivating, uh, cultivate your taste. Uh, great clients on the show have this in common. They, they sort of know what's going on. They know what exists out there. So I, I really think it's one of these things where if you want to get excited by this category and by marketing, immerse yourself in what exists out there, particularly outside your category. It's very unfortunate if we get stuck on just trying to compete against our direct competitors. The entire world of marketing uh, can be your inspiration. It can keep you optimistic. It can keep you inspired and it can make everything you do more uh, successful spend time looking at spend time debating 
spend time investigating great work. And that's what our show and very much is about is providing that opportunity to do that. And then once you're able to you know, get inspired by that, you can in, sort of immerse your internal cultures in it too. You can workshop it. I know a lot of clients, uh, you know, when they, when they find that they're struggling with selling strong work in to their own organizations, they use this tactic of having sort of lunch and learns where they bring in great campaigns, they talk about it, and um, they find that it then sort of raises the expectations within their own organization, uh, and they begin to expect that kind of work. So cultivate your taste uh, is really a brilliant thing, not only for your current job, but for whatever is next, because Lord knows probably all of us will have at least 10 jobs as we sort of look at our futures. Uh, embrace uncertainty. Um, success can't be proven in advance. And um, we all want to minimize risk. We know that our bosses want to minimize risk, but it is arguably the worst thing unless you just want minor incremental growth. Uh, the real heroes of marketing are, are not the sort of the tweakers. Uh, it comes from embracing new ideas and uh, and embracing uncertainty. And if you can get that as part of cultivating your taste and getting your organization to embrace that and using examples of brands that are doing that, I think it sort of uh, lays, lays the pathway for you to be able to do it yourself. Uh, it's important, however, to make sure that you're managing risk because uncertainty isn't about being irresponsible. It's not about doing dumb things. It's about calculated choice. And so you've got to, you know, You've, you've got to make sure that you're doing the due, due diligence, you've, you're, that there's rigor involved in what you're doing. But ultimately, you want to feel somewhat uncomfortable and somewhat uncertain about what you're recommending. Not because you worry about it being a failure as much as you just know that it's different and different is good um, and, and it's important. Number six is be fair and realistic. You can't beat a dog and expect it to do tricks, right? You've got to treat people well, people that work for you. Um, you've got to treat them with respect and you've got to make sure that they feel that you're on their side. It's a horrible thing that's happening in our industry right now is this sort of short-termism that has permeated everything. And I think it's really sort of, in my opinion, it has sort of um, been destructive in many ways that we're all running fast and uh, we're all advocating for speed. Um, but the unfortunate thing is great work doesn't happen at speed or, is, or at least there is a very um, reduced likelihood of it happening at speed. Um, but we have to treat people good. We have to treat people well. And uh, the other side of being fair and realistic is, is uh, knowing what's realistic from a budget point of view. It's something we all struggle with and I think that when I look at what, um, what I hear from clients, that nobody ever gets fully what they want initially, but what they tend to realize is that they can't necessarily achieve the objectives that are set out for them with the budgets that are set out for them. And you can't then go to your agency and say, and Lord knows I've heard this a lot and probably tons of you have too, and you've probably heard it from your bosses inside brands. Well, we've got to achieve it. And it's like the, the worst, dumbest thing to ever hear from anybody. You have to be realistic in what can be achieved. And you have to be willing then to step back and say, okay, what can be achieved uh, for what we have? So I think it's, it's as much of, from a marketer's point of view, it's as much about managing up so that you can manage down better. 
And uh, it's about setting your boss up with expectations and having the confidence to go in. And Lord knows there's a lot of scientific evidence in the world of marketing these days that did not exist 10 years ago. The evidence is out there to help prove your case. Uh, it's just that you just have to have the confidence to do it and, uh, and, um, and the willingness to embrace the uncertainty of that. And the strange thing always is that a lot of clients who, who, uh, who are not successful in pushing the, the stone uphill within one company are enormously successful in the next company they work for because they have built the reputation in the marketplace for trying to do great things. And people are drawn to that reputation, uh, even though it may not match the work. Build your reputation, and then that will move you along to something that is even more um, uh, enjoyable and powerful for you. I'd also say that um, simple works every time. Most of the great campaigns that we have on the show are, are simple, single-minded ideas or products. They are, they're not simplistic, uh, but they're simple. And strategy, I just worry, becomes too complicated these days. And I think that when we look at some of the great work that's out there, uh, a chicken sandwich changed the fortunes of an entire fast food brand. This is Popeye's chicken. This, this one sandwich changed the fortune of the entire uh, brand. Simple solutions. Number two, our, our most recent episode is around liquid death. This is a water brand that thinks like a beer. Uh, this is a brilliant, very popular episode. But again, a simple idea that is completely uh, counterintuitive, but has built a uh, hugely uh, successful business in the matter of three years. I think they, on their last round of funding, they're valued at a half a billion dollars. Selling water in a, uh, in a high, what are these things, in, in, a, in a beer can in essence. It's just water with a brilliant brand personality and brilliant packaging. Um, you know, body form, a fam care brand that speaks honestly. It's simple solutions, honest conversations that are rebuilding uh, brands. Now, Bumble, a dating app designed for women by women, a simple solution, um, and, and is building a massively successful business. Purcell, a laundry detergent that embraces the counterintuitive, counterintuitive idea that dirt is good. Uh, another simple idea. There's this massively complex process that's created for developing strategy, but nine times out of 10, when we look at the outcome, it's a simple thought, a simple idea. And it begs the question, are we actually creating the confusion ourselves? Are we creating steps that are unnecessary? Um, uh, or do we have to go through all of that in order to get to simplicity? It's, it's, it's a worth, uh, worthwhile conversation. Last one is Bailey's, which was on the show also, the creamy liqueur that expanded beyond cocktails into the high growth world of adult treats. Simple idea. Uh, and again, um, executed well, built the business by uh, 33 plus percent, I believe year over year last year or the year before that. I'm not sure which year it was. Um, a few a few thoughts on strategy because because it's on strategy, we, we would have to do this, of course. But let me share a, a few thoughts. Um, some of these are, are, are obvious. Some of these are sort of counterintuitive, but um, uh, and some might be a little shocking, hopefully. Strategy is informed opinion. That's all it is. We like to think it's about certainty, but it's really just opinion. 
Now, I'm not saying that rigor isn't important and analysis isn't important. It is. But it's just that just sort of improves your odds of being successful. So if you if you actually uh, deploy a strategy, recognize that it is a, an attempt at doing what you feel might might be the best way to go at it. It is that opinion, and you deploy it to understand the degree to which it's successful. So if it's not successful, don't fire your agency. Don't fire your team. It's really about learning and then adjusting and moving ahead. Create a great team, but don't expect them to solve every one of your problems right away. It, it is an iterative process, and it can take uh, many attempts to get it right. Um, don't also, the flip side of that is don't defend your strategy internally to your organization. Don't fall on your sword for it because it is your best guess, but it is just sort of that. So if you cultivate internally a culture of experimentation and a willingness to do that, um, I think that it will set you, set you up for less of a fall if you don't deliver against your goals. And I think that's an important thing to do. Uh, fundamentally, strategy comes from connecting with people and not necessarily from connecting disciplines. And what I mean by that is, I think is a lot of times I see documents uh, or so-called plans, and they're really just a bunch of tactics that are the result of connecting with different disciplines. Just because I connected with my social team and they know they know about this this year's plan and we've got the input of PR and we've got the input of media, um, that is not necessarily going to make for a great approach. You have got to get connected with real people in the real world. You've got to get out there. And um, I, 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 I've, I've got to tell you, every time I hear about people who have done that in genuine ways and not just sat in the office and read reports, uh, uh, read research summaries, but literally gotten out into the real world. It's that objective perspective that adds the most value. It's the ability to be able to say in a meeting, we were talking to X, Y, and Z, and, and we brought that perspective in. Realize that everybody else has the trend reports. Everybody else most likely has the research reports. It's bringing in that extra layer of objectivity that I think is most critical. And it doesn't have to be highly quantifiable data. Um, we've done episodes with McDonald's and other brands. You would think that they're all about rigid academic approaches to research. They now have a completely different perspective that values the qualitative um, anecdotal comment. They recognize that great unlocks in strategy come from conversations with real people in the real world. There are so many examples of that in this show where people say, I was having this conversation. I asked this question and can you believe this answer? and how that answer then unlocked it for everybody in the room. I'm always a firm believer um, that we actually have the answers in our head already, but we need a moment that connects all of the dots. Sometimes that happens in the shower. Sometimes that happens in a focus group. Sometimes it happens in a conversation with somebody in line at Starbucks. It's a moment that makes everything come together and makes everything clear. And most of the time that comes from being outside of your own head, getting outside of the office. So I, 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 I beat that drum every time I can get it because it, it pays dividends at every turn. Um, that said, there is no one way to develop strategy. And, and this is where the idea of sort of um, 
um, telling people what they should do. Uh, there is no one way to do it. Uh, I, I think that when you're starting out as a client or you're starting out as a strategist, formulas are useful when you're starting out. But the reality is that good strategy isn't formulaic. In many ways, I worry that formulas are what get us in trouble. They actually create a smokescreen that uh, makes us feel like we're doing the good work. But in reality, it can become something that blocks us from doing that exact thing. So I always say that um, you've really um, got to be careful that you don't let the how you do it become more important than the what you'll do. And as I say, it's okay to do that starting out because you need some sort of a structure to begin with to start sort of understanding the fundamentals. But you will find your own voice over time. And um, it's, um, it's something that it begins to happen. And your own voice means your own approach. And you'll understand that there are certain, on certain assignments, you can skip doing certain things. On certain projects, you'll need to do things completely different. And you just need to understand those fundamentals and then sort of run away from them and let things happen more organically for you. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the bottom line is, and, and, and this is a, a sort of an interesting quote that I've heard many times. I think it's, uh, I think it's sort of a, a Martin Weigel thing at Wyden. He says it's better to be interesting than right and boring. So it's better to be interesting than right and boring. And it's the idea that you can say and feel that your strategy is right, but if it results in boring work, then it doesn't matter if it's right because it's not going to work, Just, you know, for all so many reasons. Um, another thing is there is no one truth. And um, a lot of us as planners love to sort of sit around and wax poetically about the truth. And uh, depending on how um, poetic you are in your waxing, many people start to believe you. And um, the unfortunate thing is there is no one truth. There is no one uh, answer. There are many truths in any situation. You can approach it from many different ways. And it goes back to the point of, of not sort of laying on your sword for your belief. Um, don't stress about perfection. Don't think that you have to have the, the absolute solid answer. It's really about, again, acting and learning and adjusting. Uh, rigor, yes, absolutely. Rigor is, is critical. You got to do your homework. Belief and confidence in your direction, yes, you have to have belief and confidence in your direction. But dogged conviction, no. Be humble about what you know. Talk about it in terms of it being a work in progress. Get together with people early and often to socialize your thinking and get sort of buy-in and get suggestions from other people. That's the best way to develop strategy. Uh, as a client or as a, a strategist, the worst thing to do, because so many of us are sort of um, insecure people in our world of strategy, the, the worst thing to do is to sit in a room by yourself and then emerge through the with glorified symbols and trumpets saying, here it is, I've got it, here's the document, let's roll. It, it never works. It, it's just not the right way to do. It's, it's collaboration all the way from the earliest points right through the end, because your one truth you might find out pretty quickly when you socialize it with somebody is that it's either been done before or it, it's, it's a leaky bucket. But what you'll learn from socializing with other people as smart people is that you can make it even better. 
and take more joy out of seeing it uh, created. I mentioned this before, we've made, we've made strategy uh, more risky and more complicated than it really needs to be. And I think at the foundation of that is that process risk strategy losing its imagination. Um, I am, uh, for those listeners, regular listeners to the show, you'll know that uh, I'm a fan of the get to buy, get to buy creator brief format from BBDO. It's one of the simplest uh, formats for writing a creator brief. It's wonderful. Um, and I've, I've come to that conclusion after having to endure terrible uh, creative briefs over the year, uh, the years. And I think that that sort of idea of templated thinking uh, is really designed to create conformity of thinking and of ideas. All of these templates of fill in this box, fill this, have you checked this, have you checked that? I'm sorry, that's, that's, that to me creates conformity rather than originality. The get to buy brief allows you to get to the point very quickly, not make it too complicated, and to designate certain things to a conversation with creative people or with your agency or with your client, rather than designating everything to have to be in that document. So um, uh, keep your imagination strong, keep the, the, the purity of your ideas there. Uh, don't let sort of process squeeze that energy out of them. If you skip it, I think you'll enjoy what happens. My uh, my last thought is um, the um, I'm always surprised when I uh, when I participate in some of the communities for planning that um, that people many people who are in the industry ask this question, and and the question is what is a strategy? How do I explain a strategy, and and what is it and a lot of people struggle with this, and it's really, really unfortunate uh, that that people are having to struggle with the answer to this. And and I think the the simplest example that I've ever seen expressed of this was from uh, Theodore Levitt's book, The Marketing Imagination, which is a terrific, terrific book. Um, this is the reality of it, in, in my opinion. Right, I'm sure there's many people out there that'll will disagree. But strategy is simply how you connect the two dots here. On the bottom left is where you are today, where you are as a business, where you are from a marketing perspective. The other dot is where you want to be. What are your goals? What are your objectives? The strategy is the line that connects the two dots. And that's as simple as it is. Strategy is what, uh, is what uh, connects the two dots. And, um, so what's the difference between strategy and tactics, you may ask? Strategy is the plan, tactics are the steps or the actions you take to implement it. It's that simple in my mind. And I think it, to the degree that that helps people think about it and explain it, I thank Theodore Levitt uh, for his uh, brilliance. It's not really rocket science, although you know many of us uh, might want it to, to feel that way. I love this final quote, which is the arc was built by amateurs, the Titanic by professionals. Keep that in mind. Thank you for your time. I hope, I hope that there was something useful in this. Spot on, my friend. Thank you very, very much. That was really, really interesting. There was a number of people quoting you throughout the duration there, sort of uh, picking up on your turns of phrases. Um, and also, I think there was also a sense of just relaxing 
to a certain extent i think a lot of us will put pressure on ourselves as marketers to kind of have the answers or sort of turn up with a document there's a there's a comment earlier on from from amy who was sort of saying i'm doing the document right now and i've had that experience too as a marketer you know sort of turning up um and and sort of as if you know sort of coming down with the tablets from the mountain so to speak and sort of saying here you go you know this is our strategy uh only for it to be swiftly sp forgotten by the whole leadership team because I hadn't involved them into that uh, right. into that process, you know. So I, I I think my shoulders relax. Listen to you about intuition, about sort of not having to be right about releasing it, um, but then also you know just just this general idea of bringing other people into the fold there. So thank you very much. Uh, if you want to stop sharing your screen right now Fergus you'll be able to see um the chat feature blowing up as well with with folks uh just just sending uh their appreciation <laughs> for you right now uh and and saying thank you for a really really lovely talk um would it be possible to see your face as well Fergus not a problem if not but let's uh, see if I can figure out how to um we'll put your video screen back here okay in the meantime, I'll I'll, uh, I'll read out some. Really quotes. want to see this face. There we go. The man, the myth, the legend himself. Uh, so thank you. Um, let's get into some Q and A because we we've got um, we've got twenty minutes or so, and and there's some brilliant questions in the Q and A already. Um, so let's go for that. So actually, the first question, and I I should actually pre see this as well because. Um, Something you do so wonderfully in your um, in your podcast is there is a nice logical flow in terms of going from one question to another. Uh, this will not be like that. We will ping pong all over the place. Uh, there will be... <laughs> so uh, I, I hope you don't mind. But um, there's some brilliant questions from the community, so we want to make sure we're answering them. Uh, I hope I can actually answer them. So forgive me if I can't. If I can't, I will look into them and post them later. That's answers. Really Thank you, my friend. Uh, so the first one comes from Michael, who says, uh, in your experience, do you think enough marketers understand the difference between strategy and planning? Um, and what are the risks of falling into planning before determining the strategy? Um, and I love this question because I hadn't really ever thought about it in this way. I hadn't really ever thought that there was a difference between planning and strategy um and so you know this was a challenge for me actually as i was reading that question to understand it so um i'll throw it over well, to you I, I think i think the if i'm understanding the question right forgive me if i'm misinterpreting it but mm -hmm. planning uh, uh the result of planning is strategy mm -hmm. unless you are maybe in the world of media uh, but in the sort of the in the um at the beginning of the process you're you're conducting planning in order to deliver a strategy and then sometimes if you're in maybe in in, in media you're being handed a strategy that you then have to plan out so um do i think there's a there, there's a um there's a lack of clarity around those two terms i don't think so i, I think they're they're pretty clear uh, with the people that i'm exposed to mm -hmm. You are exposed to very good people as well, so uh, that's that's really really encouraging. Um, let's. Take I think there. One, I, I will. Sorry, Joe, but I, I will say this: there is a lot of confusion between strategy and tactics. That's where there's a ton of mm -hmm. ton of confusion. It's like um, there there has to be some lines drawn pretty clearly because the the instinct and the easier thing to do and the intuitive thing to do when you're planning is to throw a bunch of tactics in. 
and to suggest that that's a strategy. And that's not that's not true. There has to be a north star that exists that I would define as the strategy. Hundred percent. And you know what? It's worth it's worth making that that differentiation point here because uh, you and I have spent enough time in the industry to probably have taken that bit of knowledge for granted. You know that the, the, there is a difference between strategy and tactics, or even to be using those those words and sort of using them quite intuitively. But there will be folks in the chat today who haven't necessarily digested that or been. Uh, exposed to that so I just want to emphasize that point because I remember as a young marketing manager so it seems like a long time ago sort of confusing the two you know and then sort of saying we're going to do PPC and then sort of saying that's our strategy you know and, and that's uh it's not always the same thing so I think it's yeah, important to yeah. The point. let's uh go to the next question from from Paul uh which is a little bit easier uh and Paul asks uh what's your favorite strategy book um, so, and I can broaden that out as well to resources as well. So, you know, books, resources, where do you go oh, to digest man. and oh, understand man. strategy? <laughs> I, um, oh man, I literally have hundreds of them, um, um, on my bookshelves, not kidding, but the ones that struck me the most, um, a recent one is Douglas Holt, cultural strategy. I think that's a wonderful book. Okay. Um, and he uh, he talks about uh, brands as being the result of cultural movements. And he does a wonderful job of looking at various brands. Another one from a planner's perspective, let's give you an example of an old one, is uh, Truth, Lies, and Advertising by John Steele. That was probably one of the early books that I read that I uh, just energized me. Uh, as a as a young strategist, that just got me so excited about the possibilities. Um, but it also taught me um, a, a very valuable lesson about uh, the ideal versus the reality. Uh, John Steele does a brilliant job in that book of articulating great campaigns. And I'd like to think in many ways, that's kind of what we ended up doing on the show, come to think of it. Mm -hmm. um, but then you take you take his work into other agencies and you begin to find out that that's not the way your creatives work. That's not the way your clients think. Mm -hmm. That's not the way your account directors want to do things with you. Uh, so many times the ideal can can derail you. And that's why you really need to find and be diplomatic in how you bring these sorts of theories into your own culture because you can't force it on any culture. You have to sort of spoon feed it. Mm -hmm. uh, so to some of the points we talked about in the deck, in the presentation, there's got to be, there's, you've got to find your way, mm -hmm. but you certainly need to be inspired by many people, many others out there. But I, I know there's many books that, um, oh, here's what one last one I would say is the recent book by John Herman, H-U-R-M-A-N, um, he, uh, he has written a book called future demand, mm -hmm. and he also wrote a book called the case for creativity, nice. two wonderful books, good reads, simple, uh, language and useful. Amazing. Thank you very much. Um, I, I love that second point you made. Thank you for making that as well, because, um, I can say this from personal experience and that's all I can speak from, you know, that the ideal is, is always the thing we strive for. Right. But actually I think you're making a far more realistic point there, which is that um, 
we can you know if we can actually sort of have that realistic sense about like interacting with people and their understanding or marketing and and uh what they want and what the business needs then actually the most quote-unquote perfect you could get a perfect score on creating a marketing strategy test but it might not be the perfect score for what you actually need in that moment of time so that collaboration bringing people in a, a perfect marketing strategy doesn't exist exactly as you said so thank you very much i i, I really appreciate that point and i think that would be quite liberating for a lot of folks as well um the next question comes from dale and it was a question that sort of struck me as as we were going through your points as well um about uh some of the mindsets and I, I wanted to dip into some of your stories if that's okay because effectively yeah. that's what you do with the podcast as well is is, is stories um so i'm going to give you a moment to think so i'm going to i'm going to start off by reading out the question which is from dale he says uh what's your favorite david and goliath marketing story as in a small brand using strategy to overcome the odds okay i love this okay i'll give you i'll give you, I'll give you two of them mm -hmm. One we've had on the show, one we haven't, and I wish we could. And I, I'm, I'm, it's actually an older campaign, but um, it's a Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A in North America um, is a brilliant David versus Goliath uh, story. And the work was extraordinary. Um, it was just, it was, um, uh, it was, it's basically eat more chicken. Uh, campaign that they did you you can check it out online i won't waste time explaining it too much here but it's brilliant simple work it ran for like 20 years um the other one is oatly uh, oat milk uh, here in the u.s and and oatly for me is that sort of poking the establishment type brand it is sort of irreverent and subversive the work is uh, really non-marketing oriented uh and terrific and and we did an episode on that and we recently did, uh, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, Liquid Death. Liquid mm -hmm. Death is this drinking water brand that used unique packaging and represented itself. It's kind of being a water brand that thinks like a beer brand. And it was, it is absolutely subversive in that space and uh, another great example of it. Those are two that that come to mind, uh, Dave, let me see if I give you one more. Um, oh, geez. If, I, if, if as we're going through this, I'll, uh, I'll think of more. I love that. I, I think there's something really curious about this as well, because that subversiveness that you're speaking about at the, at the moment is an interesting trend you see on social media. And I've seen a few people verbalize this on LinkedIn quite recently as well. So it's definitely not my thought, but you see a lot of uh, brands uh, starting to look and feel the same on social media in particular um so there's a lot of conversation for example around Ryanair uh this this past week and and them being actually quite rude to their customers but they're an extreme example of brands who sort of exemplify this sort of really chatty style uh, that exists on on social media in particular and the point that I've seen some people making is that this chattiness, this sort of specific style, it means that a lot of brands are just starting to look and feel the same. And actually the examples that you've just given, it feels like these are examples of companies who are not looking to sort of uh, keep up with a trend, but just actually be themselves. Um, do you find that is like a really important, I mean, that has to be the most important thing, right? In, in part of the strategy. 
Well, I, I think I think more and more um, we are we have the evidence to demonstrate that in fact people don't pay attention to advertising. Mm-hmm. More and more, it's obvious, right? Um, but you also have to realize that you still have to be uh, interesting. You still have to be memorable. You still have to be recognizable in your work. So you've you've got to the instinct for too many marketers is to do a version of what other people in their category are doing mm-hmm. because that's sort of safe, right? But you, you've got to throw that away to the point we made in the presentation. You've really got to be bold and you've got to be sort of embrace risk uh, because that's where most of the growth is coming from. You can, you can accept just incremental gain or you can make leaps. And the way to make leaps, if you don't have massive budgets, is to do bold calculated things mm-hmm. the liquid debt for example in our episode they said that one of their key metrics in terms of sentiment metrics and social is 50 percent hate it <laughs> that's their metric they <laughs> want 50 percent of people to hate it mm-hmm. because that's fuel that's almost like paid media right mm-hmm. uh, that that when that circulates um so that's the sort of counterintuitive approach that i think people are realizing that you know, in a in an environment where it's increasingly difficult to get attention, even with good work, mm-hmm. that you have to be bolder than ever. Uh, yet, being smart with an underlying strategy, don't just do wild shit for the sake of wild shit. Uh, do smart shit, but do it in a in an interesting way. For example, my last point would be um, the best way to think about it. I feel is to think about it as being strategically consistent but creatively unpredictable. Nice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> you got these little moments of gold that sort of come out and they're just going to capture. <laughs> so, thank you. I appreciate it. Bethan says uh, a great way of thinking here. So uh, that's appreciated by uh, folks uh, watching in as well. Uh, we do have a question here from Amy, which I think is a, a good one. And I lean on your experience here uh, more than anything, because I think you've probably done this on a day-to-day level before which is Amy's question comes in and says, how do you actually plan out the day-to-day of implementing the strategy? For me, it's one thing to be make a plan, but actually wake up and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to go and do today is quite a different thing and something that Amy struggles with. So, you know, it's that sort of, that translation of of what you get in this document to what exists on the day-to-day level. What's your experience with that? Well, I, I think, I think you, you've, at the earliest stages, you've got to convert your strategy into tactics. Mm-hmm. So while you have a defined strategy that you feel comfortable with, you then have to convert it into tactics, which is, you know, how am I going to implement this? So mm-hmm. it's got to be, here's what we're going to do in media. Here's what we're going to do in social. Here's what we're going to do in packaging. Here's what we're going to do, et cetera, promotions, et cetera. So you've got to map them out. And um, I think you have to work with, a, with a, a broader team on that if you have that broader team. But the answer to the question is you got to convert them into tactics. Mm-hmm. And I think, you, I think you have to understand sort of that there's maybe a, about how you sort of map out a hierarchy, which things need to happen first in order to create the opportunity for what happens next to happen. So that's to be some sort of a hierarchy in that. I, I would suggest that, that um, was that Amy was the yes. question? Yes. Amy, I, I would suggest Amy, you give a listen to the new series that we're gonna be launching 
in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be all about um, creating effective outcomes at every stage in the planning and creative development process. There's going to be six episodes. Each, each of them will be taken by a sort of a thought leader in that particular area, be it setting budgets and planning and uh, setting object objectives, uh, data analytics and the hierarchy of metrics will be another one. Writing a creator brief will be another one, et cetera, et cetera. Comms planning will be another one. And so these little, these episodes should help you. I, they better help with, you know, those sorts of things. We're going to dig into creating the best outcomes, most effective outcomes in each of those buckets. And there'll be six of them. Lovely. I think it starts in about two weeks. Amazing. I love it. And uh, you say, I think it starts in two weeks. You definitely, <laughs> you strike me as someone who will know. Yeah. We've <laughs> actually recorded the first three episodes, so we're just going to launch it and get it out yeah. here. That's amazing. Uh, Amy says, I definitely will. Thank you. That sounds so helpful. So, uh, so there we go. Um, I want to start picking some uh, questions, which I don't think we've heard before. And um, I'm, I'm going to do the slightly dangerous thing of, of reading and uh, reading the question for the first time as, as verbalizing it. So but it looks like an interesting topic, which is a question that comes from Shakila, uh, who asks, with the recession that is coming up, how can we, uh, as marketers, uh, be proactive so the client understands that they shouldn't cut on marketing costs. Uh, so uh, how can we build trust in, in marketing in effect? And I think this probably speaks to a lot of your points around sort of bringing people on the journey, presumably. Yeah, I think, um, I think you can, you've got to, you've got to look at syndicated uh, data on this because there has been some things circulating around sort of making that case, the connection between um, between reducing spend and the impact on sales. And I think, I, I think Lesman, Adam, Peter Field have done some work on this. Um, certainly I would expect that, um, that uh, Byron Sharp at Ehrenberg Bass would have done some work on this. I know it's out there. Uh, I, I don't know enough about it uh, to really give anything useful to that. I apologize. But I do think there is stuff out there and um, I, I think the best thing to do uh, is to look at places like maybe like Wark in London or, you know, Wark.com for mm -hmm. some content. Wark has got a paywall, unfortunately, but it, it is out there. And uh, I'm, I, but I don't unfortunately have an answer. Uh, my only comment would be if your organization is truly a marketing organization rather than a sales driven organization, or if you are taking people along as a journey, as you say, Joe, you will sort of build an understanding of the fact that you have to be spending in order to be remembered. Mm. And that even when, uh, even in a recession, that brands that come out of those, those dips, economic dips, come out stronger at the end of it. There is definitely data out there. I wish I had a better answer that I could point you to a specific place, but I, I don't off the top of my head. No, I, I appreciate that. And I think you pointed to a few resources there where uh, we can we can sort of head. So I, I appreciate that. Um, I want to, you know, this is the question that people ask me and, and uh, I can never, <laughs> I can never answer because every, every webinar feels like one of these little, little babies <laughs> of sessions, but I want to sort of think, ask you, you know, of the top case studies and, and strategic implementations, that you've seen throughout the course of the podcast uh, for the, the two and a half years that you've been 
creating it what are the ones that really stick out as these moments of 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 brilliance or uh, excellent execution uh, you know like this is three minutes before the end just an opportunity to highlight some of your your favorite uh case studies because that's that's what the podcast is all about right 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 okay so <laughs> we should have said this at the beginning because i'm sure we could have gone for an hour um i i'd say um i'd say my gene project um from adam and eve ddb and anything that that uh, they've done on mermaid is just brilliant mm-hmm. um i think that uh, that whole thing is just so smart it's so sort of it's so uh it's it's so imaginative and it really connects with sort of the truth of the human experience you know and what what people do with that product um the other one i i, I like um in that you guys will know in your neck of the woods is uh, yorkshire tea Mm-hmm. uh from uh lucky generals and um i love that i love that campaign i love uh we do things proper i think that's that is uh is extraordinary work um i do love what oatley has done i think that they've done really strong work and um in a completely counterintuitive way uh i've got to think of one more i've got to get one more to give you here let me see if i can pull something <laughs> up very briefly here I like that you're. You can you're, look at your next question. No, no, I I like that you 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 go with fours. It's quite unconventional. Most people go with threes. So this is. Well, really? Then maybe I can just stop, and then that'll be it. <laughs> well, you've, you've said about taking bold risks. I'm afraid. So you've set your precedent uh, uh, well early. Oh, one one other thing I would mention is uh, is Volkswagen. We we're actually we um we're releasing a classics episode on Volkswagen, the 1960s Volkswagen mm-hmm. um, uh, campaign, but Volkswagen has done a brilliant job of having a simple uh, plat- brand platform at the center of its work for uh, the last 60 years. And, and I do love that. And it's the idea that uh, Volkswagen drivers are, um, are uh, frustrated with the status quo. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, and they, they tightly define that as, uh, that they are drivers of change Volkswagen drivers are drivers of change and I love that idea and because uh, you see when you look back at the work of the last 60 years right back from when it started in the counterculture movement of the 60s right up to the 1990s with the da 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 work here in the U.S. and again that sort of uh, um, that was sort of a Gen X thing back then as like the slacker movement and and so there was times of great social change is when VW was at its most successful. It's able to plug into that really beautifully because mm-hmm. it has at, at its heart that sort of idea of being, you know, for those who are, are, are sort of um, disenchanted with the status quo, it becomes a symbolic, uh, say it's a signal of that for many people. So I do like that. And I wish I'd prepared a little better to give you more. And, you know, everybody on the show is brilliant. So excuse me that uh, <laughs> I can't bring up your campaign. Not at all. No, uh, there's there's four great episodes there, and and uh, I, I think I've listened to three of them and, and really enjoyed them. The Yorkshire Tea one, unfortunately, what you've also done quite unwittingly is is start a debate about the best tea uh, in in the chat. I'm afraid, Fergus. So uh, you, you're in <laughs> yeah. dangerous territory. Uh, you got to be a, a Yorkshire man or woman to really advocate for it. Right? <laughs> well, that was certainly the idea behind the campaign, right? So it was uh, it was something quite special. 
Um, and it was really nice actually as well to see it come out on TV um, because uh, you yeah. see a a Guinness months. made of more um, Guinness made of more is another brilliant one. I encourage everybody to read for really phenomenal fundamentals about understanding this, the everything about your brand and defining it. It's really wonderful. That's awesome. Thank you very much, my friend. Right. This is our time. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to have to call it to a close there. I, I think there's so much more worthy of investigation uh, on this topic. So undoubtedly we'll, we'll revisit it, but thank you very, very much. Uh, just to um, emphasize that in the chat, we've got, uh, we've got Nicole, Claire, uh, Amy again, Josh, Jennifer, Lynn, Emily, Zoe, Francesca, Katie, Simon, Carly, Sally, Philippa, Laura, all saying thank you. And, and they're just keeping on coming. Uh, so thank you very much for taking the time, my friend. Hey, my it's pleasure. Great. Thank you for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. And you guys are doing great work there. So uh, onward and upward, right? Absolutely. Well, we, we only win when we're helping each other out. So I, I think that's the that's the best way. So I appreciate it. And I thank you, everybody. Everyone in the chat too, uh, making this so special. Uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. And uh, in the meantime, thank you very much, Fergus. Uh, thank you, everyone. Please do take the time to thank the sponsors. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Bye for now. Take care.